Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Natalie Wood was an icon, beautiful, talented, electric in front of the camera. And yet, for 40 years, public commentary has pertained mostly to her tragic and confusing death. How did a woman terrified of dark water die at sea? This is Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. We are back with another two-parter, Michelle we're back. Andrews, and we're here with Natalie Wood today. Natalie Wood, when I told my mum all those months ago about the concept for Scandal, because we have been working on this for so long, she looked at me and said, you have to do Natalie Wood. And I stared at her blankly and said, who is that? And she felt very, very disappointed in me as her daughter. Yeah, I think it's a story that people a little bit older than us are very well across, but Mm. definitely a story that people our age may have missed a little bit. I mean, for those who've never heard of Natalie Wood, she was an iconic Hollywood actress. She was a complete icon. She was the second highest earning actress in Hollywood at the time, next to Elizabeth Taylor. Mm. And I think most people listening to this would know who Elizabeth Taylor is. So to put her in that context makes you you understand how big of a star she was. Yeah, for sure. And this year is significant as well. This year marks the 40th anniversary of Natalie Wood's tragic death. And I think what we're going to try and do over this two-part series is give the listeners a really accurate and detailed picture of who Natalie the person was, but also her death, because so many people want to explore that and understand that and try and make sense of that. And it's been a huge story for the last few decades. Well, I think the thing about Natalie Wood is that there has definitely been a crazy amount of coverage about her tragic death. Mm. There absolutely has been. We will definitely not be the first ones to it on this microphone, but we definitely wanted to bring a more human aspect to it. As two people who didn't know a lot about Natalie Mm. when we walked into doing this research, as we said, she was a huge deal to people like our moms. I think she was such a big deal to the people around her, even in the industry as well, that the first time she ever split from her husband, and we will get to this later in the show, but she married, divorced and remarried the same guy in her lifetime. It was such a big deal that Elizabeth Taylor apparently took to her bed out of shock. I love this. Do you remember on Shameless when we were talking about how endearing it is when celebrities get starstruck over other celebrities? I love that Elizabeth Taylor was so starstruck by Natalie Wood. Yeah, 100%. I think people also cared about Natalie Wood because she was beautiful and successful. But Mish, for all the videos we've watched of her, Mm. for all the documentaries we've watched of her in the last few months, it's so clear that she had this incredibly charismatic personality. There's this incredible anecdote from 19 and she won this award called the Harvard Lampoon Award for being the worst actress of last year, this year and next. After an old white dude judging it became furious that she'd won a Golden Globe because he said that she just won it because she was hot, essentially. 
So Charming. She, exactly. So she demanded an invitation to this award ceremony so she could actually accept this very offensive award in person. What a badass. I feel like this is the typical award ceremony where they just try and take the piss out of actresses and actors and no one ever actually rocks up. But for her to be like, no thanks, I'd like to come receive this award is epic. And when she was interviewed about it as well, she was just so stone-faced when they were trying to be like, so why did you rock up? She's like, well, it would be rude of me to not accept an award in my name. <laughs> she does seem like quite a badass, doesn't she, Miss? She yeah. seemed like she had like an incredible personality. But the saddest part about her story is the scandal around her death has never quite gone away. Like this is a woman with a very publicly known fear of deep dark water who basically left a boat in the middle of the night. No one knows how she died. She just was found drowned. And interestingly, the two people left on that boat, other than the captain of the boat, were her husband and her rumoured lover. So there is a lot to unpack. There is so much to unpack. We are doing a two-part series. In today's episode, though, Mish, we will take the listeners through the life of one of Hollywood's biggest actresses, her marriage, her divorce and her remarriage, as I mentioned, to Robert Wagner, and then the moments that led to her setting foot on a boat with both him and her room and lover, Christopher Walken, only for her to never make it home. Time to rewind. Let's rewind back to the 1930s, if you don't mind. Well, 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 I didn't picture us being here. It is the (laughs) 1930s. And guys, if you have no kind of cultural touch point at this time, let me tell you, neither did I. But it turns out the 1930s is when Hollywood is really becoming a cultural and commercial epicentre. So gone are the days of silent films. We've officially figured out how to get audio in films. And now we have what people were calling talkies. So the micro <laughs> sounds like walkie talkies. <laughs> the microphone is a brand new invention and it is changing cinema. Yeah, so it now hangs over actors' heads as we know it to be today. But we also in this period see the birth of the child star. People like Shirley Temple, people like Judy Garland, they are household names at this point in time. Yeah. So when Natalie Wood is born in 1938 in San Francisco, The timing is perfect. Exactly. So Natalie was actually born Natalia Zakarenko to Russian immigrant parents, her dad Nikolai and her mum Maria. The family did end up changing their last name to Gurdon like a lot of immigrant families did at the time. Yeah, so Natalia or Natalie had two sisters, but the person we really care about in Natalie's childhood is Natalie's mum. If you guys think Kris Jenner is a mummager, Natalie's mum Maria absolutely smashes this out of the park. She is like a mummager with a capital M in bold red underline. Yeah, she was like the OG mummager. Maria had herself dreamed of being an actress or a ballet dancer. And I feel like this is the narrative of so many child stars whose parents did push them into the industry. It was like the parent themselves wanted a career, couldn't (laughs) quite find it, so pushed their kids into it. According to biographer Warren Harris, who wrote a book about Natalie, her mum used to take her to the cinema as often as she could, preparing her for a career in Hollywood, she made Natalie believe that she was going to be a star. Yeah, she also made the entire family pack up their stuff and move to LA so that Natalie could pursue her career in film. And she did get a few big roles when she was a child. She burst onto the scene as one of America's biggest child actors when she was only eight years old. She was in 
the Christmas movie Miracle on 34th Street, which I had already watched before ever knowing who Natalie Wood was. Yeah, but did you watch the Mara Wilson remake? No, no, no. My parents made me watch the original when ah, I was a kid. Ah, there you go. Very wholesome, That right? is very wholesome. That would have been an old movie. So I think to put into context here as well, the family moved to LA before she was even eight years old because this is when she was landing these films. Like they pinned their hopes on Natalie when she was just a child. There's a woman called Suzanne Finstad-Mish who we will mention a bit in the next two episodes because she wrote this incredible biography about Natalie for which she spent over three years researching. She also interviewed over 400 people. According to Finstad, from the age of seven, Natalie was her family's sole breadwinner. Yeah, which is a huge amount of pressure, it goes without saying, on any person in a family when you're the sole breadwinner, let alone on a seven-year-old. I do want to give one anecdote that I think explores just how intense Maria was. While Natalie was filming one movie called Tomorrow Is Forever, there was a crying scene and Natalie was kind of struggling to cry in front of camera, was kind of getting a bit of stage fright in front of the huge film set and crew. So to make her cry, her mum caught a butterfly in her bare hands and tore it to shreds so that Natalie would witness it and then cry on set. Just so completely brutal, especially for a little kid. I think another story and anecdote that really kind of paints a picture of how intense this relationship was, was when Natalie was 10 years old and was starring in this film called The Green Promise. Her mum covered up the fact that Natalie had actually broken her wrist during a scene. Mm. And because that break itself was never treated, Natalie ended up with a wrist deformity that she covered up with a bracelet for the rest of her life. Yeah. If you guys go back and actually look at photos of Natalie Wood, and as always, we're going to put a little bit of a gallery on the Shameless Podcast Instagram feed, you will see her constantly wearing a bracelet over this wrist. It became a huge insecurity for Natalie. Yeah, for sure. There's this very famous quote, this very famous reported quote from Maria as well, that she told journalists on one of the very rare occasions that she spoke to journalists where she said, God made her, I invented her. Mm, And then there's this quote from Natalie's own writing when her family released some diaries and some memoirs after she died. She wrote, sometimes I had nightmares of the family starving if I didn't act. So much pressure to put on such a small kid. So we have this child star, Mish, this kid that was absolutely pushed into the limelight, but who's actually quite good at it. Like, yes, maybe it wasn't her own decision to star in all of these films, but she really was a bit like Duck to Water. Yeah, and she was adorable. Like, it goes without saying. She was an absolutely magical kid. She just came alive on set and was very, very good at what she did. And I think that is the reason why she was one of the few child actors of that era to actually successfully transition from teen and child star to adult star. Yeah, and we know this is one of the biggest difficulties. Even today, you look at Disney stars like Selena Gomez, the Demi Lovatos, even the people from High School Musical, you see them struggle Mm. to move on from that very innocent sort of character that they're very used to playing. And I think one of the big reasons that Natalie Wood was able to make that transition relatively seamlessly was because of this role she got at age 16. It was 1955 and she landed a role in Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, so if we're... Trying to put this in today terms, this is like Miley Cyrus going from Hannah Montana to the Wrecking Ball music video. Like this was very, very big as far as redefining Natalie's adulthood. But it's worth noting she was only 16. She was actually still a teenager. But as we're about to learn, 
that didn't seem to matter very much in the 1950s. No, and we will get to that in a second. I mean, when she did land this role in Rebel Without a Cause, she was starring opposite like the Hollywood bad boy at the time, James Dean. I think you might recognise that name anyway from mm. a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to bring you in... You uncultured swine. <laughs> I'm trying to bring in some modern references for our younger audience. So as we said, it did represent a time in Natalie's life where she started to push back from her mother's control and started to take roles for herself. I mean, Natalie's parents did not want her to take this role in Rebel Without a Cause because it was a bit sort of grittier and sexier than what she was used to playing. Yeah. So Natalie had to fight for the role and she wanted the role. And to get the role, she had to kind of cozy up to the director, Nicholas Ray. Now, this is where there are kind of conflicting stories. The director, Nicholas Ray, at the time was 44. We know that Natalie was 16. She says that she had to kind of prove her adulthood, prove her womanhood to him. And she gave interviewers in the 1970s this odd story about how she got into a car accident. He visited her at the hospital and she took that chance to kind of reiterate what the doctor had told her, which was a goddamn juvenile delinquent for getting in the car accident in the first place. Yeah. So she turns to Nicholas Ray in this moment after she's in this car accident and says, well, this doctor thinks that I'm a bit rogue. Therefore, I deserve this part because I am grittier than you give me credit for. Dare I say that story doesn't add up to me or make much sense to me. I mean, I know I'm not in the 1950s, but even now this seems really weird and incongruous. It's just not a very good story, if I'm going to be honest. Like I got into a car accident. The doctor called me a juvenile delinquent. Therefore, one plus one equals penguin and I should be in this movie. (laughs) Exactly. So that's the story anyway that Natalie Wood and I think Nicholas Ray have told about her getting that part. The other story that comes from Susan Finstad's biography that I mentioned at the top of this episode was, and this is a quote from the book, between the time Wood interviewed with director Nicholas Ray and did a screen test, they'd become lovers rendezvousing in a Chateau Marmont bungalow. She was 16, he was 44. Yeah, so I raise an eyebrow at the term lovers. I don't know if you can be a lover with someone when you are a teenager and they are a fully-fledged adult man. I agree with you and I think this is a thread that we'll see throughout the next few years of Natalie's life, that these very powerful men who can offer her a lot in the industry take huge advantage of her. I think it's a good time to remind the listeners as well of that quote that she said when she was just like 10 years old, that she felt incredible pressure to be the breadwinner of a family. Yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, I'm saying unfortunately because it's a tricky situation. The way this potentially unfolded and the way she got this role was abusive and gross but it also landed her her first Oscar nomination. So at the same time as we're having Natalie potentially be taken advantage of by men in the industry, she's being rewarded for taking those kind of risks or ending up in those kind of situations, which I can't imagine what that would do to the psyche of a young woman. Yeah, 100%. And she also won a Golden Globe for Most Promising Newcomer. So you're right, Mm. she was being rewarded for, I guess, the relationships that she was having that was leading her to these movies and these roles. Yeah. Unfortunately, the story with Nicholas Ray is not the only story we have about Natalie Wood potentially being abused by older men in the entertainment industry. There was actually a memoir published by the right-hand man of Frank Sinatra, George Jacobs, in 2001 that alleged that Natalie Wood was assaulted by Frank Sinatra 
1954. This is the quote from that memoir. One affair that, unlike the others, was conducted in top secret was with Natalie Wood. Because she was a minor at the time, either 15 or 16, though she didn't act like it. So as we said, this happened in 1954, which would have made Sinatra about 39 years old. Mm. And as we said, Natalie Wood was about 15 or 16. I think one of the hardest parts to stomach about this anecdote is according to that memoir of George Jacobs, Natalie's mother, Maria, had her kid all doled up, total jail bait in a form-fitting black party dress and Mr S, which was short for Mr Sinatra, went for it in a big way. Yuck. Like just yuck. The thought of... Not only the 39-year-old man wanting to pursue a teenager, but his right-hand man making it happen and kind of putting cocktails on the table to allow it all to run seamlessly. And the mother to push her daughter into it. Like, it is beyond comprehension to me that this is a story. But part of me believes this, like a big part of me believes this, that for the time... And given how men, older men in the industry treated young women, that this happened to her. But the thought that her mother was involved in it is just such a step further that makes me feel sick. Yeah, and it should be noted that Natalie's never really confirmed this story in particular and some of the others. Anne has never really implicated her own mother in these scenarios. This was just one memoir from a guy that worked with Frank Sinatra for 15 years. But George Jacobs did say that when Frank Sinatra was with Natalie Wood, he would be sent away, just Mm. kind of pushed away so that he wouldn't know what was going on. In this Susan Finstad book as well, there was another really sad quote from an actor called Scott Marlowe, and he observed signs that she had been molested. And in this book, he said, how do I say this delicately? She was very, very experienced for a young girl. She knew too much, more than any kid that age should know. She just knew all about male body parts, about what to do, how to please, and how to get herself loved. She knew all those little things, and it was very sad. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is all important context as to how Natalie Wood approached romantic and sexual relationships with men across the rest of her life. Yes. So at about this time in her life, in walks a man called Robert Wagner Mish. At this point in her life, Natalie Wood is one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. All eyes are on her dating life. It's 1956. Yeah. So Natalie had actually met Robert Wagner before 1956, but she had only really glanced at him across a hallway. And she was a child star at the time. Again, she was a kid. So she did tell people in 1976 of the first time she ever saw Robert Wagner, I was 10 and he was 18 and I first saw him walking down the hall at 20th Century Fox. I turned to my mother and said, I'm going to marry him. I mean, she wasn't wrong. (laughs) So it's the summer of 1956 and it's just a year after Natalie hit screens in Rebel Without a Cause. As we said, that was the movie that really, dare I say, grittied up, sexied up her career from child star to adult. And this was when she and Robert go on their first date. She was 18 and he was 26. Yeah, and you could say that Robert Wagner was punching when he got together with Natalie Wood. By this point, Natalie had starred in 25 films and had just earned her first Oscar nomination Robert Wagner's career, though, was only, like, starting to take off. Like, he was kind of stalling the car a little bit. He had been signed by 20th Century Fox and he had caught people's attention in a movie called With a Song in My Heart. 
1956, he was making some pretty dodgy career choices. <laughs> like he took on this one role in Prince Valiant. And I mean, I don't really know much about the movie. I don't really care to watch the movie. Shall I give you a one-line synopsis? Give me the one line. This was an adventure film about a Viking warrior's journey to becoming a Camelot knight. <laughs> Not exactly my kind of film, is Nor it mine. yours? No. Well, one Vanity Fair writer did write when he was reflecting back on Robert Wagner's career that this was, and I quote, lethal to the career of a serious actor. Like this was seen as him shooting himself in the foot. Yeah, he was seen as a bit of a laughing stock after this movie because his performance was so bad. Apparently the movie was so bad. But this is the same year that he starts dating Natalie Wood, who is one of the biggest stars in the world at that time. Yeah. And by 1957, December 6, 1957, the pair get engaged. Do you know how they got engaged? Yeah. So this story is actually retold in a recent HBO documentary. So apparently Robert Wagner makes his reservation at a restaurant in Beverly Hills and they were kind of drinking a glass of champagne. (laughs) And the story goes that Natalie suddenly looked down at her glass and there was a ring in it. Very old school. Super old school. But I'm also confused about like at what point you realise the ring's in the champagne. Like, when it's already down your esophagus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, such an OH&S has it. Anyway, he said, look on the inside of the ring and it said, will you marry me? Obviously, Robert. Like as yeah, if you're going to give her a <laughs> ring and she's going to be like, Nice ring. What's this? (laughs) Anyway, Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood did get married a year later in Scottsdale, Arizona. They were cultural icons by this point. So the Los Angeles Times described them as the most photographed, talked about, envied couple since Wally Simpson and Edward VIII. Who the fuck are they? (laughs) I don't know. Wally Simpson and Edward VIII. I might just do a live (laughs) Google while I'm here. I'm so sorry for every listener over the age of like 50 who will just be like, what the fuck is wrong with you both? So Wally Simpson was an American socialite and the wife of the Duke of Windsor, the former British king Edward VIII. Ah, so a socialite who married a king. Yeah, I can imagine them being pretty talked about then. I've got to say, when I read this, I thought Wally Simpson and Edward VIII were like a couple, like a gay couple, the first like gay couple on the scene to be out and proud. But good on them. Sounds like they're an interesting couple. They are. I mean, this maybe this will be another scandal episode on <laughs> Wally Simpson and Edward VIII. But back to Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood. They were such a big deal at the time that according to Biography magazine, she told interviewers at the time, we drove a Corvette across the country. Radio stations would announce we had just passed through and people would wait for us in every little town. Very wholesome and old school. They were almost like Brad and Angelina. I feel like that is the easiest parallel that we can draw to Matt Massive Hollywood actors, one who, yes, has maybe made a few career missteps, but the biggest, one of the biggest actresses in the entire world. So if we're thinking Brangelina level of fame, I think we're actually on the money. A weird caveat, but I think we need to explore this. The two of them really did bond over their love of boats. Like, despite the fact that Natalie has a long documented fear of deep, dark water, which she tells interviewers regularly, They spend a lot of time at sea, even on their honeymoon. They go out on a cruise ship and they almost die. Yes. So one of the strangest threads in the Natalie Wood story is that she and Robert Wagner did spend a lot of time at sea, as you say, but they almost die at sea a couple of times. (laughs) I can't believe you're even laughing. (laughs) No, but it's just like I'm just so in my own head to be like, how has this happened to one person that across their life they have a fear of deep, dark water and yet they have almost died at sea multiple times with their husband. Yeah, 100%. So the first time that this happened was on their honeymoon. Their cruise ship got caught in the worst storm to hit the Florida coast in 15 years. There's this really old article from Vanity Fair that I found and this was kind of a passage from that article. 
Writing in Modern Screen in April 1958, gossip columnist Luella Parsons reported that Bob, Robert, said over the long-distance phone, the worst storm to hit the Florida coast in 15 years blows up. You'll never believe what was happening to that boat as we tried to make our way back to the port. It was pitching like a wild horse. Dishes and glasses were crashing all over the galley. It was all but impossible for our skipper to see one wave ahead of us. I was so worried about Nat. It was an awful ordeal for her. Yeah, pretty horrific. But they were deeply in love at this point in time. Natalie Wood did tell the media, we knew each other better than we knew ourselves. I always knew he was okay. It was myself I didn't know about. Yeah, so you're right, Mish. They were really in love at this point in their lives, but this won't always be the case. We're going to take a little break for a word from our sponsor, but when we come back, things will start to slowly be falling apart for Natalie and Robert Wagner. Let's do it. So before the break, Zara, we explored how Natalie and Robert met. We explored Natalie's history in the film industry and, of course, their wedding and how everything was quite good until they almost died at sea. They survived the trip to sea and here they are. They're married take it away from there. So Natalie at this point in her life is actually experiencing more and more success on screen. She went on to start in huge films like West Side Story and Inside Daisy Clover. At the age of 26, she had been nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars for her roles in Splendor in the Grass and Love with the Proper Stranger. She actually became the youngest person to ever score three Oscar nominations, a title that was actually later claimed by Jennifer Lawrence and then Saoirse Ronan. I feel very unaccomplished compared to this. When you out she was 26 at this stage I was like Jesus Christ married got all this stuff to her name doing very very well for herself I will say though Splendor in the Grass was a real turning point for Natalie Wood and her career Wagner did say in a recent HBO documentary that he likened the flow and effect from Splendor in the Grass to kind of striking a match on the career of Natalie Wood if she was already a star she was about to become an absolute worldwide superstar exactly and at this point we enter 1961 and things aren't actually looking that good for Natalie and and Robert Wagner. So they had a couple of good years married, but I think there are a few elements that lead to this marriage starting to fall apart. The career success of Natalie Wood certainly didn't help. In a New York Times interview in 1969, Natalie actually reflected on their relationship saying, we loved each other tremendously. It was disillusioning when it didn't work out. Yeah. And at this point in time, Natalie Wood is struggling quite a bit personally. So she was suffering from insomnia. She was taking sleeping pills. She was spending every lunch hour for a stretch of eight years with her psychiatrist. Like mentally, she's not doing great. No, she's not. And that's a pretty famous story of Natalie Woods, isn't it? That I think if you do even just a little bit of digging on Natalie Wood, one of the first things that you will read is that she was the kind of person who spent every lunch hour for eight years with her psychiatrist, Mm. as you said. At this same time, Robert Wagner was having a bit of trouble in his career. He, as we said, acted in a string of terrible roles. One film director actually told Vanity Fair in 2000 that he was Natalie starring in a major movie like Splendor in the Grass and he was Robert Wagner doing dogs like Stopover Tokyo. (laughs) Doing dogs. It's so fucking hard. It's so mean. So Robert Wagner's confidence would have already been low. Imagine his confidence when Natalie Wood stars on Splendor in the Grass alongside Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty in his day, extraordinarily attractive. A hot young guy is what I would say. (laughs) Warren Beatty's name will be familiar, A, because he was one of the biggest movie stars ever, but also I think to put this again in a very modern context, in 2017 at the Oscars, you may remember (laughs) that a man and a woman went to announce the best picture for that year 
and they accidentally announced it as La La Land, not Moonlight. Yeah, he was that guy. He was that guy. That was Warren Beatty. He accidentally read the wrong name at the Oscars. So you're right, Mish. On the set of Splendor in the Grass was where Natalie Wood met Warren Beatty. And Warren Beatty is a really important person in the downfall, apparently, of the marriage between Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood. Yeah. One of my favourite parts about Scandal is that we often uncover conflicting storylines. So this is a place where we're going to diverge because we have two different stories to explain why Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner divorced the first time. I'm going to go with the Warren Beatty angle first and then we can cover the other angle. So Warren Beatty, according to some rumours, was very flirtatious and very romantic with Natalie Wood, both on screen and off. So the film's director, Elia Kazan, actually described that Robert Wagner's sexual humiliation was public because he believed that the actors were kind of having a bit of an affair on the side. Or if they weren't, that it was just very obvious that they had a lot of chemistry and there are enough rumours circulating that it would be embarrassing for a partner. Mm -hmm. And there were rumours that they were together. So the tabloids were kind of running with this. Everyone was putting two and two together saying two very attractive young actors. Warren Beatty is far more successful than Natalie Wood's current husband, maybe this is something that's going on behind closed doors. Yeah, for sure. And in a 2008 autobiography, Robert Wagner actually wrote that he was so distraught over the affair or the alleged affair that he contemplated suicide and would actually sit with a gun outside the home of her lover, Warren Beatty, intent on killing him. Yikes! He wrote in this book, I was pretty young and I don't think I could have ever gone through with the act, but I was pretty frustrated and upset. He said that to Reuters in 2008. Robert, there's been pretty frustrated and upset and then they're sitting with a gun outside your ex-wife's new partner's home. Yeah, crazy. And a pretty aggressive story to admit of yourself. Yeah, exactly right. So that's story one. And I will say before we leave angle one that it could be legitimate because as we're about to find out, Natalie Wood and Warren Beatty did end up in a relationship together. So maybe both of these angles could be true. But the second angle is one that only emerged in the last couple of decades. So Natalie's sister, Lana Wood, actually came out only recently and said that that story, the Warren Beatty story, was all a cover-up to protect the real reason that Natalie and Robert Wagner split. Lana Wood actually says Robert Wagner cheated on Natalie with another man. Now, this was revealed in a podcast series called Fatal Voyage, where Lana said that Natalie walked in on Wagner in the arms of another man, but chose not to deny the rumours that she was cheating. And that was the reason they were breaking up, because at the time, to have a bisexual husband or be a bisexual actor would be career destroying. Yeah, 100%. And to be totally honest with you, yes, it's 2021 and I can imagine that the dial has moved a little bit. But the story goes that there are still so many actors in Hollywood that are hiding their sexuality because they believe the same thing to be true. Mm. So take this back to the 1960s and you can absolutely imagine that if this story is true, no one wanted it to get out. So in June 1961, Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood announced their split in a joint press release. A year later, the New York Times ran a piece saying that Natalie had filed to end their marriage, charging her 32-year-old husband with mental cruelties. Which is an interesting term. I mean, it was quite an ambiguous term at the time, but our researcher has said that some actors and some people in the public eye would use this term to describe potential bisexuality or homosexuality within a marriage. Family members do now say that Natalie Wood and Warren Beatty only explored this sexual chemistry that they had after she left her husband. I mean, I don't think we know now, and I'm pretty sure we're never going to know unless this 
supposed partner of Robert Wagner comes out. From my research, I didn't find any man who kind of stepped forward and said this was me. So I think this is just a bit of a big question mark in general. Regardless, we do know that Natalie Wood and Warren Beatty did end up together. She did write about their relationship in an unpublished memoir that was later released by the family. And she wrote, when we became involved, he was depressed because his sweetheart had gone to England for a film. And I was devastated over the end of my marriage. We both brought problems to the relationship. Warren and I spent hours ruminating and analysing each other. I think it very much speaks to how troubled they both may have been at the time that they met. Mm. Like she was clearly and has been very open about the fact she wasn't in the best mental state. And she's also explained that while she was looking for like a rock in a new partner, she found a volcano in Warren Beatty. Mm. She likened it to a live volcano with eruptions every day and I contributed my share of fireworks too. They lasted two years. But I want to know, Mish, like I think the relationship with Warren Beatty does end there. That is the end of Warren Beatty's involvement in this story. But to what point do you think he's really relevant in the story of Natalie Wood? I mean, now that I feel like I've really researched Natalie Wood as thoroughly as I can with the material out there, I feel like Natalie Wood was a deeply troubled, deeply dark person internally sometimes. I feel like the external disposition she gave out to people was a very sunny one and a very friendly and lively one. But I think inside she was struggling. And I think it's not all that surprising that she would see someone like Warren Beatty, who is a bit electric, and combine forces with him. I think we would describe this relationship today as a bit of a toxic one. It seems like they were constantly fighting, having huge blow-ups with each other. And it's thoroughly unsurprising to me. I think it's not even just the relationship with Warren Beatty. I think her first husband, if her first husband is someone who's openly admitting, I was sitting down on the street with a gun in my hand, I think there is potentially a string throughout Natalie Wood's romantic life. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. So Warren Beatty and Natalie Wood break up. We fast forward to 1969 and Natalie is actually getting married to someone else, her boyfriend of three years, a British producer by the name of Richard Gregson, and they have a daughter, Natasha, in 1970. Yeah, and her first husband, Robert Wagner, has also married. He is married to actress Marion Marshall. They also have a daughter together and he's moved over to Europe while he's kind of experiencing newfound success over there as a TV star. So it all <laughs> eventually worked out for Robert. Congratulations, Robert. Very happy for you. It still feels like second rate fame though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. To find your career in TV stardom and that is obviously a joke. Still congrats to Robert Wagner. And TV stardom overseas as well. I know. <laughs> It feels very much, though, like the flame between Natalie and Robert Wagner never went out. Natalie's sister, Lana, who you mentioned before, Mish, said that her sister was absolutely inconsolable when she found out that Robert Wagner was having a baby with Marion Marshall. Mm. Marion Marshall sounds like a character from Harry Potter. <laughs> According to the famed writer and friend of Natalie's, Thomas Thompson, if we're in the... <laughs> so 1960s. <laughs> it's so 1960s. Wagner showed up at the same restaurant that he and Natalie always went to 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 celebrate the birth of his daughter and he actually saw Natalie sitting at their booth apparently because they had a booth that they always used to sit at. When he walked past her, the story goes from Thomas Thompson that they looked at each other across years of melancholy. Beautiful writing, Thomas Thompson. Do we we think that's real? I mean, they did get back together so maybe it is. I'm sure there are elements of this that are true, whether or not it's like this one scenario where she was in the booth and he walked past, but there is clearly some sort of rope or 
string or whatever. Invisible I'm, string like a Taylor Swift song. That's what I'm trying to think of. <laughs> that is binding them that they can't let go from. Yeah. We do know that Natalie Wood and Richard Gregson's marriage was pretty short-lived. Natalie threw him out of their marital home in 1971 when she discovered that he was having an affair. He has admitted to having this affair and he's now passed away, but he was quite contrite about it when asked about it by his own daughter in an interview. Yeah, 100%. So in this HBO documentary that we've mentioned a couple of times, it was released pretty recently. He is interviewed by his own daughter saying like, well, why did you and mum split up? And he was like, yeah, I had an affair with her assistant, I think. Yes. And he was very much like, yeah, pretty stupid thing to do, I guess. Not my best moment. No, that. And it was like a very interesting way to look at it. So Natalie and Richard Gregson break up in 1971. Robert Wagner and his wife Marion Marshall split around the same time, maybe the same year. Which means that Robert Wagner and Natalie find their way back to each other. Yes, so they end up getting back together. So these exes who were married, who never had children together, end up getting back together about 10 years after they announced their split to the public. Now, just to be a little bit of a broken record here, what actually cemented the deal of them being together was another near-death experience at sea. You can't make this shit up. You cannot make this up. In 1972, Natalie Wood joined Robert Wagner on a cruise ship heading to London to promote a new film or TV film, I should say, he had made. But the morning after the couple left, a freak storm, another freak storm with 70-foot swells engulfed the ocean liner for four days. Yikes. Now, this story of what they did when they were engulfed by this storm is one of my favourites. According to Warren Harris, the author of Natalie and Robert Wagner's biography, they were so sure they were going to die, they locked themselves in their cabin, drank champagne and ate caviar for four days. I mean, not a bad way to go, except they didn't (laughs) die. When they emerged unharmed in the UK, they decided to remarry. So that is exactly what they did. On July 16, 1972, they got married for the second time aboard a boat off the coast of Malibu. Pause. Why are Hollywood celebrities like this? I don't know anyone in my life, and I would say I've met a lot of people in my life. I don't know anyone who has divorced a husband, had this many near-death experiences at sea, but also remarried their ex-husband. Like, why do Hollywood celebrities and why do actresses, particularly of this era, like Natalie Wood, like Elizabeth Taylor, have these tumultuous, extraordinary extraordinary romantic lives. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have an answer for you. It's almost a little bit like I think in the case of Natalie Wood because she was a child star for so long, this is really all she knew. Like she only knew the drama of the industry and the glamour of the films. Like maybe she thought she was living the life she needed to live. I also wonder if having such excess, like being so incredibly wealthy and not having any barriers put on you financially, means that you really don't have many inhibitions. It's like, well, fuck it, let's go on a boat and then fuck it, let's get married again. Who cares? There's no money to like stop us from doing what we want to do. Yeah, 100%. In 1974, Mish, they actually went on to have a daughter, Courtney. So they had their first child together. Wood's sister, Lana, wrote a book about Natalie Wood as well. And she wrote in her book about the marriage, Her marriage was considered to be one of the best in Hollywood and there is no question that she was a devoted, loving, even adoring mother and stepmother. She and Robert had begun with love and built from there. They'd overcome each other's problems and had reached an accommodation with time and the changes time brings. As with anyone else who has settled into making a long marriage work, they were far more determined than most people to make it work. Yeah, and it was at this stage in her life that Natalie Wood did kind of take her foot off the accelerator of her career, which totally fair enough, she'd been working for what upwards of 30 years she had absolutely already made a name for herself so she kind of decided I'm going to dedicate myself wholly to 
motherhood at this time. And I think the description written about her in her daughter Natasha's book, More Than Love, which was only published last year, really captured what Natalie Wood was like as a mother. This is what Natasha wrote. When I picture my mother during the days of my childhood, she isn't dressed up for a party or working on a movie set. She's at home in her favourite white cotton nightgown with the pink or blue rosettes or wearing soft gauzy dresses in printed fabrics or down by the pool with a caftan thrown over her bikini. Mummy not only spoke with her hands, fluttering them like butterflies to express her meaning and mood, but she was forever touching me with a loving caress. If we were in the same room, her smooth hands would be stroking my forehead, playing with my hair, brushing gently against my face. It's a really lovely image, I think, like a very maternal one, isn't it? That sense of like a mum rubbing the cheek or sort of the hair of a daughter. Natasha also said in the HBO documentary that we weren't raised by someone who seemed like a movie star at all. All she just seemed was sort of larger than life, but not because she was famous, more because she was just her. Yeah. Robert Wagner also says that Natalie Wood really came into her own as a mother, despite the kind of earlier years of life when she really struggled mentally. He wrote in his own memoir, Natalie was swept away by motherhood. It was a total home run for her. She was devoted to our girls. So she did seem like a completely devoted, very committed mother who wanted to step away from her career at this time, as you said, because she'd been working since she was a child. And according to the family and the stories that the family have told in the years after Natalie's death, Natalie and Robert were in a deeply loving, committed relationship to each other and really wanted to make this marriage work a second time. And I can imagine that if you're marrying someone a second time, you're really going to want to say, like, (laughs) I'm trying to make this work. This is the definition of you really putting all your eggs in one basket, like you're really risking it to get the biscuit. This is one quote that Natalie Wood gave about them getting remarried. She said, with a second marriage, you keep your fingers crossed and you act optimistic. Somebody did say that a second marriage is a victory of hope over experience. It's a very lovely quote. So you've got the family saying that Robert and Natalie were really trying to make this marriage work, that they were very committed to making it work. But according to the tabloid media, it was a pretty different story. The tabloid media at this point reported that Natalie and Robert Wagner hit sort of another rock or another hurdle in their relationship when she started to go back to work and was starring in a new film with actor Christopher Walken. Now, if Christopher Walken sounds familiar, that is because he starred in Catch Me If You Can, Click, Batman, Pulp Fiction. He's always the evil guy. He always (laughs) plays the evil guy. Always. He's got that face that is almost like, dare I say, scary to look at because you're so, (laughs) because you're so used to him playing the evil guy in the movies. Again, if you want to see a photo, come to our gallery. We will have one of Christopher Walken when he was younger and one of him today so that you can kind of get your head around it. So they did meet, Natalie and Christopher did meet on the set of Brainstorm. They were co-stars. And Wagner's even admitted himself that he was suspicious about exactly what was going on between the pair. He wrote in his memoir, the bell wasn't exactly clanging, but I was aware that I didn't have her full attention. She was more involved with the movie than she was with her family. And the thought occurred to me that Natalie was being emotionally unfaithful. It was around this time then, Mish, that she gave this quote to the media. I've always been terrified, still am, of, uh, of, of water, dark water, seawater. Yeah, and we should say this wasn't the first time Natalie Wood had spoken about her fear of deep, dark water, but this was something that was kind of omnipresent throughout her life ever since she was a child, and she continued to have a fear of dark water into adulthood, which makes it very, very interesting when you ask the question, how within a year did Natalie Wood give that quote to the media, 
and then end up on a boat with not only her husband, but also her rumoured lover, and it be a boat that she would never exit back from alive. Yeah, I think we are going to leave it there. When we come back next week, we will take you to the day or two before Natalie Wood died and the really confusing turn of events that have happened in the years since, pointing to many different scenarios about how she ended up dying. Yeah, the many conflicting theories. That is next week. For now, Zara... I think that's it for today's episode. Yeah, that is all we've got time for. This episode was researched by Justine Landis-Hanley with help from you and I, Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to support our show, the best way you can do that is click subscribe on Apple Podcasts, click follow on Spotify, or come follow us on Instagram and chat with us as you listen. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What have you learned throughout this episode? We will have an episode thread in our Instagram feed. Yeah, absolutely. As always, we'll be back on Thursday with our normal pop culture wrap. And then, as we said, on Monday for part two. So we'll see you then. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.